Hey, I want to take one more moment uh, before we jump into the text tonight to say thank you for your flexibility. Thanks for being up here. For those of you who didn't meet or didn't were here earlier, missed it. Why we're up here? We're doing some construction down there so that we can put in shades, so we can do daytime services. It's going to take a couple weeks, so we'll kind of have this festival feel for a couple weeks, and we'll make the best of it. Amen. Amen. Uh, all right. If you got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 142. That's where we're going to be tonight. Uh, if you got it on your phone, that's probably ideal. If you're a hard copy type and you're like, it's black, pitch black out here, I can't see a thing. Um, we're doing our best. We're, we're going to try to add lights and other things over the week so we might be able to see Bibles. Uh, but for now, your phone's probably your best bet. Um, here's what we're going to do. We are going to jump into a new teaching series tonight that's going to take us for six weeks. And this teaching series is called Hope for the Heavy Heart. And so what we're going to do over the next six weeks is we're going to look at the heaviness of heart um, that we are experiencing. And, and here's the assumption that I have and our leadership team has and this entire church has as we go into this series. This will be one of those series that everyone throughout the church lines up on. My assumption is this, that you are either dealing with heaviness in your heart right now because of all that's happened this year, or if you are not, the person sitting to your right or left is, okay? That's my assumption that you are either dealing with some heavy stuff or the person sitting to your right or to your left is. And so here's what I'm going to encourage us to do over the next six weeks, to show up in this place, to come all six weeks, to show up consistently because one of two things might need to happen. One is the Lord might have a word for you. Like if you are feeling heaviness, if you are feeling anxiety, if you are feeling depression, if you are feeling lonely, if you are feeling overwhelmed by the prospect of the future, the, word, the Lord might have a word for you. And if you are not dealing with any of those things, if you're actually doing pretty well right now, I need you to show up anyway because there's a reason for it. It's because the word, Lord might not have a word for you, but he might want to bring a word through you to someone who needs to hear it. And so I want us to show up. I want us to lean in with this. Because there is hope for the heavy heart that comes through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know there is a God who knows you and loves you and wants to put hope inside of your heart right now. And the world is desperately in need of that kind of hope. And we believe the word of God has that answer. So here's what we're going to do each of these weeks. Um, we've put together some videos for you uh, where we have talked to some professional counselors, some professional therapists uh, who have helped us get kind of a frame for what the different things we're going through is. So uh, most of those weeks, we'll probably show you those videos. If for some reason you want to see those videos or share those videos with others, uh, we're going to post this to our Instagrams, uh, Instagram TV thing, whatever, uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, so by Friday morning of each week, you'll be able to see these videos. But I want you to watch this first one. It's about five minutes long. You'll just get a sense of... Uh, of what some professionals have to say about the subject we're going to jump into today. Check out this video. Recently, I've had the opportunity to sit down with some folks who provide counseling to others and to talk to them about some of the emotional things we go through in life and especially those things that have been amplified during our battle with the coronavirus. I sat down with them and chatted about the topic of loneliness. Kaiser or Cigna said that 61% of Americans today are suffering from loneliness. The last 10 years, our nation has had an epidemic of it. During these times, when we're isolated, really we have lost. We've lost our freedom to go where we want to go and do the things that we want to do. Our paradigm for life has been shattered. 
Uh, we feel oppressed. Uh, we can't see our family members when people are ill. We can't go to the hospitals. So uh, people are feeling uh, more and more lonely. I'd probably make a distinction between being alone and feeling lonely. Like an introvert especially craves being alone. An extrovert doesn't really need as much time alone. People spend so much time chatting and talking with people, and yet the, the epidemic of loneliness, there was plenty of research and articles about that prior to COVID. The whole loneliness component as it pertains to God is not uncommon for that to be very, very complicated because many people even blame God for that. You took my husband, or you took this, or you caused this, or you're not bringing somebody to my door. And so we can complicate things for ourselves. God loves you, and he really, really does want to be in a relationship with you. I understand that that experience is going to be a little bit different than the warm arms of an embrace, the comforting words of somebody that's eyeball to eyeball. But in Scripture, there's story after story of him bringing comfort to the widow, to the poor, to the weak, to the one in jail. And that's the same God that we serve today. God will absolutely meet us in that place. People don't have the resources or the abilities to tap into the things they could before. So even as a therapist, it's, it's trying to get creative and help people figure out ways to pull in their support system. We also teach people how to go to God's Word and uh, memorize it and then even journal about it. Like uh, Psalm 46.1, God is my refuge and my strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. So we'll teach them to pray through the definition of that scripture. You have to decide to do something that's different. That whatever it is that you're continuing to do now is contributing to the loneliness. Are you going to decide to do something different? Because if you're able to make that decision, then that opens up a lot of different doors, a lot of different possibilities. I can pick up a phone and call somebody, even though the last number of months I've been waiting for somebody to call me and getting more angry because they're not calling me. Now I can instead do something different. I can make a call and just hear a voice. I can do something different. I can go for a walk. It's that what I call like a half step before the one thing. I'm going to decide to do something different. A lot of times a person beset with loneliness does not reach out. They are waiting for people to reach out to them. And I think that's a mistake. If you feel lonely, take Dr. Rick's advice. Reach out to people. They'll probably respond. You could sit there and nurse, and the loneliness can then end up moving in the direction of bitterness, even feeling like a victim and nobody cares about you which is probably not true. I don't know the person's story. When somebody really wants help with their loneliness and they speak up, we create a portfolio for them, so to speak, uh, of venues to be involved in. And, and the first and, and the most important is connection with other people. Whether it's in a small group or just a, a couple of friends that they can call, we make sure that they have some sort of connection with people so that, uh, that they can have a relationship. You know, we're created to know and be known. Try maybe, if there's time, you know, create the drive-by situation, you know, where you can see them in person, because there really is something about seeing somebody in person. My mom and I actually 
would meet like halfway between here and Pasadena and sit in the parking lot and have lunch. Using technology for this epidemic of loneliness is a smart, proactive thing to do. And again, I'm always encouraging people to reach out. And, and that's counter-instinctive. It, it sure makes it clear that man was not made to be alone. My hope for you is that you would see this and that you would glean from the wisdom that these men and women have to offer us and that each week this might stir your heart and thoughts in different ways. And again, um, this might be a word that is for you in season and it might be a word that God wants to speak through you. Uh, and so I want to again encourage you toward that. This is some profound wisdom uh, that some of you might need to hear tonight. And I want to show you um, that this comes not from primarily from psychology or modern findings or science, but rather that this comes from the word of God. And so again, I've asked you to turn to Psalm 142. We're going to jump into that text tonight. I want to tell you where that text comes from. Um, One of the neat things about the book of Psalms is the book of Psalms wasn't just kind of randomly written out. So these are songs that were actually sung in ancient Israel. This wasn't just randomly penned down by people who are feeling like artistic in the moment, but but rather it was written in particular situations. And one of the wonderful things about this particular Psalm, Psalm 142, is we know exactly where it was written. But like we know the exact moment that David wrote this song. And so you don't have to turn here, but in 1 Samuel chapter 22, I'll put it up on the screen here. It says that David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So he's in this cave called Adullam. He says when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All of those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gather around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So so this is the story of David, and he's hiding in a cave. And some people hear that he's hiding in a cave, and about 400 people, it says, who are in debt or discontented, just kind of like the rejects, the down and outs, all the people had nowhere else to go were like, we'll go hang out with David. And that's what happens here. So he's in the cave of Adullam. Why is he in the cave? If you don't know the biblical story, it's because David is anointed to be king of Israel, and the current king of Israel feels threatened. The current king of Israel feels insecure about it. So the current king of Israel tries to kill David. So here's the story. Here's how this psalm gets written. There's an individual who has been told by God, you have an incredible calling and an incredible destiny. You're going to do something remarkable in this world. You're going to be a king. You are anointed. And then someone else gets jealous and is trying to kill him. And that's how this psalm is written. This psalm is written of someone hiding in a cave, hiding for his life with someone who is in power trying to kill him. And here's the remarkable thing about this story. You might think like, what is David feeling in this moment? What is David experiencing in this moment? And if it were me, I would feel bitterness, bitterness at King Saul, bitterness at God. Why did you have to anoint me and call me to this thing where someone's trying to kill me? Maybe you might feel overwhelmed. Maybe you might feel scared. Maybe you might feel stressed out or anxiety or whatever. But that's not what David feels. You know what we're going to discover in Psalm chapter 42? But like the primary emotion that David feels when he's in this cave, hiding from King Saul, hiding for his life from a person who is petty and jealous. You know what he's feeling in this moment? He's feeling loneliness. This is a remarkable thing. The thing David is feeling when he is in the cave of Adullam, when he writes Psalm chapter 142, is lonely. And this is a remarkable thing for us to consider here. It's remarkable because it just said in the text, he wasn't alone, right? His father and his brothers and 400 other people were there. It would be like if all of us, plus a couple hundred people, were hiding in a cave somewhere and we all felt lonely. 
I think this is a remarkable thing that we're going to look at tonight in Psalm 142, that this concept of loneliness and how David works through his loneliness. And I need you to know whether you are someone who feels lonely right now or whether you know some people who feel lonely. And I promise you know people who feel lonely, even if they're surrounded by people. I need us to consider the depth and the profundity of the problem of loneliness. Like you might not realize that but loneliness is actually the most ancient problem human beings have ever dealt with. Do you recognize that? Like what was the first thing God was ever displeased with in this world? And you might think it was sin or a lack of faith or a lack of prayer. You might think it was lust or anger or pride or greed, but it was none of those things. Actually, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, God creates everything and says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Chapter one is like this poem with this drumbeat of it's good. And then we get to chapter two and you'll see this verse on the screen. Genesis chapter two, verse 18 says, the Lord God looked and he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Like in other words, the most ancient problem with human beings is not sin, it is not greed, it is not anger, it is not lust, it is not faithlessness, it is loneliness. This is the most ancient problem human beings have ever dealt with. And so if you are walking through loneliness right now, I need you to know you're not alone. If you are walking through a season where you feel disconnected, no one cares, no one loves you, no one has time for you, I want you to know that this is not some new thing you're dealing with. This is as ancient as the Garden of Eden itself. And David unpacks this in a beautiful way while he's in the cave of Agilom, hiding from a man who has all the power and who wants to kill him. And I think we're going to see that tonight. So Psalm chapter 142, if you have your Bible open, uh, you'll notice in the Psalms, sometimes it begins with a little, uh, a little intro to the Psalm. So this is like not even verse one of 142. This is like verse zero. Okay. This is the thing. It's like an intro. It says a mascal of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. So in other words, this is a prayer, a song, something David wrote from the depths of this cave. And when it says the cave, it's like literally this cave that he is hiding in that we just described. He writes it from there. But then here's this really interesting word here. It says it's a mascal of David. And you're like, a mascal? What's a mascal? Like, I've never used that word. I've never been like, can you get me a mascal over here? Like, that's never a thing we do, right? So, so here's what a mascal is. Mascal is, comes from this Hebrew word, and that actually comes from the root word. In Hebrew, all the root words have three letters to them, and this one would be in English letters, S-K-L. And the letters S-K-L mean the verb to instruct. So in other words, a, a mascal is a type of song, a type of poetry, a type of expression that is meant not just to inspire, but to instruct, to teach us something, to teach us something we need to know. And isn't this an interesting thing about David? He's in a cave, he's hiding from Saul, he's hiding from the person who is trying to take his very life. And here's what David understands. David understands that the cave has something to teach us, that your cave has something to teach you. He understands that this moment of hiding, this season of dryness, this season where it feels like everything's falling apart and he's all alone and no one understands. He understands that this has something to teach him. And if I can just speak to one person and I don't want to speak to your heart and promise you that God has something to teach you in this season if you're willing to listen. That the cave you're in, the season you're going through, the thing you're feeling deep in your soul, and maybe you haven't even had the courage to say it to anyone yet, is not something God just wants you to skip over to get to the next thing. He wants to teach you something. This cave is as an instructor, it's a teacher, it's an educator, it has something to teach you for the rest of your life. I've always appreciated how Billy Graham said it. He said it this way. He said, mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but the fruit is grown in the valley. But like that mountaintop experience we all want as Christians where we feel just like, uh, we're like, oh, I'm so close to God and we feel it all through our body. And we're just like, I feel like God and I are like this close right now. 
It's a beautiful moment. I don't want to take anything away from that. But here's what I want to claim. That if everything in your Christian life is geared toward those mountaintop experiences, you will miss out on the fact that God wants to grow the most fruit in the valleys. In the moments where you don't feel close to him. In the moments where you feel lonely and persecuted and alone. In the moments where you feel like no one cares and you're disconnected from everyone. I want to invite someone tonight who's walking through the valley of the shadow of death to lean in. I want to invite someone tonight who knows that your sister is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, your best friend, your roommate, your mom, your grandmother is walking through that valley right now. I want to invite you to learn something because the mountaintops are great, but the fruit, it's growing in the valley. Here's how it begins with Psalm chapter 142, and it begins here in this first verse. It says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. I tell him my trouble. Here's what I want us to do tonight. If you're looking at the screens or if you're looking at the text in front of you, I want you to look really closely at the verbs. So again, this is David. He's writing from a cave. He feels alone. He feels trapped. He feels persecuted. And I want you to notice the verbs. He says, I cry aloud. I lift up my voice. I pour out before him. I tell him my trouble. Do you notice that all the verbs here are him articulating, speaking out loud what's going on in his life? Uh, Like, I think this is one of the most significant things I want us to see tonight. Uh, I think sometimes what can happen, especially for those of us who are Christians, is we can struggle with things, but then just kind of keep it inside. And even in our prayer life, we just kind of have like this silent prayer before God, which like that works. Okay. It's not like if you don't speak it, he can't hear it. No, God knows. Like he knows every thought that's going on in your mind. And yet what can happen sometimes is it just gets so convoluted inside of us that we don't pour it out before God. Can I urge someone really practically tonight? To begin praying in such a way where you speak it out loud. That might feel uncomfortable for you at first. If you're speaking out loud in the shower or in the car or even on a walk, but speak out loud. It's actually a glorious time to do out loud prayers because you all got masks on. So people can't even tell that you're talking to yourself. All right. Like, like this is an amazing time to practice that. Speak it out loud. Pray it out loud. Let your voice actually be lifted up to God. And here's the reason. It's not because God can't understand unless you say it out loud. Like we all get this theologically. God's not like, I can't understand unless you say it, right? That's not what God's doing. But there's something powerful that happens when we are able to articulate it out loud. Uh, Again, I I don't know exactly how this perfectly works, but here's what I'm convinced of. David is not saying, I feel all of these things. He's able to articulate all of these things. And here's what I've become convinced of in my own life, that you cannot alleviate what you will not articulate. That you cannot alleviate something that you will not articulate out loud. If you can't put it into words, you will not actually ever improve in it. If it's always just this kind of muddled thing inside of your feelings, you'll never actually make any progress. It's like this. Um, I want to just show of hands. We're just going to have confession time here at church. Um, Who here, I'm going to describe something. I want you to raise your hand if this is true of you this morning when you woke up. Who here woke up this morning just kind of feeling like, bleh? Anyone here? Okay. All right. We got a few honest people and then none, none, none of the rest of you. Okay. Just feeling kind of like, eh, you know, you know, mornings you just wake up and you just kind of feel like, eh, you just don't feel so good. You just kind of feel like everything's a mess. Here's what you need to know. You cannot alleviate that condition until you get beyond eh, and you get into what it actually is. So if you wake up in the morning and you feel, eh, what you need to be able to do is say, you know what? I have a headache and I have a headache, which means I probably need to drink some water because I'm dehydrated. I probably need to get an Excedrin because I have a pounding headache. Your stomach doesn't feel so good. You go, okay, my stomach doesn't feel good. I'm probably hungry. I need to eat. Or or I feel kind of tired, so I need some coffee. Or I need to exercise to get the blood pumping, right? Like once you articulate it, 
then you can begin to alleviate it. And I believe God wants us to cry out to him because once we have clarity around what it is, we need to step forward. And once we have clarity over what's wrong, I believe God can start to work in and through our lives, in and through our spirit, because we cannot alleviate what we will not articulate. And so let me try to help some of you articulate tonight the loneliness you might be experiencing. Because again, there's David in the cave, right? And he's got 400 people with him, including like his dad and his brother. So it's not like he doesn't know anyone. He's got all these people around him. Uh, and yet we're gonna see that David feels profoundly lonely. And here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that loneliness is not you being like alone on a desert island. It's not like Castaway, okay? Like Castaway isn't the only example of loneliness. Uh, I believe there are so many of you are feeling and experiencing loneliness right now. So I just want to kind of talk through seven types of loneliness. Um, my guess is you're not all seven of these. If you are, we would love to pray for you. Um, but my guess is you might be one of these, maybe two of these. Uh, but again, not all of them, but maybe it would help you to articulate um, one of these seven types of loneliness. So I want to go through this. Number one is I'm lonely because I'm new here. I don't know everyone here, but I'm going to assume that some of you are new to the area. You just moved to California. You're like, it's on fire. Welcome, right? Um, you, you, you just moved here. You just moved to the area. You just came out of college. You just came back into this area and you feel new here. And it's difficult because you come into a new space and you don't know people. And it's like, you're adults now. As a kid, it's like, you have to be friends with this person. And as an adult, it's like, I may be alone forever, right? Like, like, like you're new here. And you just need to articulate, I'm lonely because I'm new here. And I know someday I might have friends, but I don't right now. The next one, I'm lonely because I'm different. I think some of you feel lonely, not because you don't know people and they don't know you, but because you're different than them. You come from a different place than them. You have a different skin color than them, a different gender than them. You have a different background than them, a different level of wealth from them. You just feel different. Like you're maybe even here at church tonight and you just kind of feel different than anyone else. And maybe it's a profound thing. Maybe it's a silly little thing. Like you have a different sense of humor. You have different television shows you like. You're like, I'm a different Enneagram number than everyone, right? Like, like that's your thing. I'm just different. And, and again, sometimes it's profound and sometimes it's just these small things, but we feel different and it makes us feel lonely. N number three, and I'll, I'll speak for maybe hundreds of you here tonight. I'm lonely because I'm single, right? I, I'm lonely. Sorry, I'm, he's meddling in our lives now. Yes. Um, <laughs> listen, um, there's like a profound Christian place you can be in where you're just so satisfied in Jesus and you don't actually feel lonely even though you are single, okay? And I absolutely believe there are Christians who reach that spot. But I absolutely also believe that there are Christians who say they're at that spot, but they're not actually at that spot. I think there may even be Christians here when people ask, are you okay being single? You're like, I'm, so just, I'm dating Jesus right now. It's all good. I'm just so good. I'm just so content. And like, that's the thing you're supposed to say. But the truth is you will never actually overcome your loneliness. You will never actually address the ache in your heart until you just say it. Ladies, can I speak to you? It is okay to say I'm lonely, I'm single, and I want to be with a guy. That is a good, holy desire. And anyone who tells you that is not a good, holy desire has not read the scriptures or know God's desire for our world. It's not that everyone has to be in a relationship, but it is okay to say, I feel lonely. I wish I was in a relationship. And again, you can come to this beautiful place as a Christian where you are so content in who Jesus is and you don't feel the need for that. But I also want to say that some of you feel lonely and you feel like you're not even allowed to articulate that you're single and you're over it. And I want to invite you to be able to articulate it because you can't alleviate what you won't articulate. Here's the next one. I'm, I'm lonely because of my position. Some of you are in a position of authority at work or a position of authority in school or you have some sort of role or responsibility in this world that's different than everyone else. 
And leadership can be lonely. Having a high position or a big responsibility on your back can feel lonely. Some of you are raising a little sibling. Some of you have a parent who you're caretaking for and they're very sick and it feels lonely because that weight is on your back and you feel like no one else knows what that's like. The next kind of loneliness, I'm lonely because I'm suffering. I'm lonely because I have anxiety. I'm lonely because I have depression. I'm lonely because I'm addicted to something. I'm lonely because I'm insecure. And when you get into those spots, it's really easy to think you're the only one struggling with these things. The only one who has an addiction, the only one who has a secret, the only one who's insecure. And you need to be able to articulate, I'm lonely because I'm suffering. And suffering can make you feel all alone in this world. Number six, I'm lonely because I miss her. I'm lonely because I miss him. I'm lonely because I miss that person I had. It's an ex-boyfriend, an ex-girlfriend. Like, listen, some of you are out of a relationship that you're really glad you're out of, but now you don't have anyone to tell the stupid details of your day to, right? Like there's actually a loneliness that can set in where you're like, I'm really glad I'm not dating him anymore. I'm really glad I'm not dating her anymore. But you know what? I don't have anyone to tell this silly little story to anymore because it kind of feels weird to call my friends and be like, listen, here's what happened. And it's just some story, you know, like that's what you tell someone really close to. And some of you feel lonely, not because you don't have people around you, but because you don't have that one person, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a parent, a grandparent who passed away, a best friend who moved out of town. It's okay to articulate that you have amazing people around you, but there's this one person who left a hole in your life. And maybe it's even a good thing that that hole is there, but you feel lonely. And then here's the final one. I feel lonely because everyone else isn't. Um, here's an experience I've had. Maybe you've had it. Uh, there are certain nights uh, or weekends or different times in my life where I'm like deciding to be in for the night. You know, you just make that decision. Like, I'm just going to be in for the night. It's good. I'm at peace with that, right? I'm not going to be out with people. I'm just going to be in for the night and life will be good. And then you're in for the night and then you jump on the Instagram and you're scrolling through and suddenly like everyone else in the world is out for the night. And you're, it's not even FOMO because you know you've missed out. It's not fear of missing out. You're like, I know I've missed out. Other people are out there in the world having a good time. And here I am lonely with Doritos on my chest, like watching some Netflix rerun, like depressed, like, like you were good until you turned on your phone and now you feel lonely. And here's what's okay to say. Right now I feel lonely because I feel like everyone else is out there doing great things and I'm here doing nothing. See again, you cannot alleviate what you will not articulate. Uh, I could say it a different way. Like what you will not identify will only intensify. Like if you can't put your finger on it, if you won't say it to God, if you won't say it out loud to another person, if you won't actually identify what you're going through, it'll never get better. I just need to challenge someone tonight just to have the courage to actually identify what's going on in your life rather than pretending that everything's going okay. It goes on this way. David says in verse three, he says, when my spirit grows faint within me, it's you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Isn't this a fascinating little rant he's got going here? No one cares about me. No one's with me. No one's in it with me. No one loves me. No one knows my name. No one knows my number. No one likes my photos on Instagram. No, no one, no one, no one, right? He's just in this like no one phase. But we literally just read that his dad was with him. His brothers were with him. 400 people, like kind of like, like oddball people. Okay. But like 400 people were like, David, you're in charge. We're with you, right? We're with you through it all. This is a fascinating moment in scripture. David is going, I'm all alone. There's no one here. No one cares about me. No one's with me. It's just me out here. And it's like hundreds of people. It'd be like me being like, I am all alone on this hill right now. There's no one here. No one showed up for church tonight. No one's here. It's just me. And everyone's like, what is wrong with you? But that's what's going on with David here. 
And I actually think this is a significant thing for someone to realize. I think some of you have that approach to your life. Like this thought has gone through your brain. I'm all alone. No one cares about me. No one's interested in me. No one at church has time for me. My small group gets together on Wednesdays, but <laughs> they don't care about me after that. No one cares about me. No one wants to text me. No one wants to talk to me. No one cares about my whole life. And, and, and here's actually what's so interesting about David. Like David has somehow gotten from us being surrounded by hundreds of people who are actually with him to this place where he thinks he's all alone. And it's like somehow the reality of what's going on and the thought that's going through his mind aren't connected. Do you notice that? You ever notice that happens in your own life? Like the reality of your life and the thoughts that are going through your brain don't match up. And, and here's what David has to do. You know, like David actually needs to go through this process that maybe some of you need to go through where you have a thought that doesn't line up with reality. And when you have a thought that doesn't line up with reality, I want to invite you to do something. And I want to invite you to do something with a metaphor that's going on in our world right now. Right, right? If someone you know gets COVID, what are they told to do? They're told to isolate, right? Go to your home for like ever um, and sit there um, and be sad and do that. And then also um, let's go back through every contact you've ever talked to, right? Like contact tracing, right? Like in the last couple of weeks, who have you been in touch with? And they go through that whole process. You know what I think? Some of you need to contact trace your thoughts. You need to go back through and figure out where that came from. Because some of you just like David are like, I'm all alone. And then you need to figure out why you think that. Why do you feel that? Where, where did that actually come from? Like, are you actually alone? Where did that come from? Because I think what often so happens uh, in your life and in my own is we start to have thoughts and we think, because I thought this thought, it must be true. But do you recognize that not every thought that goes through your mind is actually reality? Like, I think one of the things of maturity is recognizing not everything that runs through my brain is actually true. Like, like for me, I, I don't know if you know this, this is going to be confession time with Pastor Brian, okay? Uh, I'm going to confess some things that are probably true of most pastors you've ever met, okay? Uh, and some of you will be surprised by this and some of you won't be surprised at all. Um, there are times, um, even this summer here at church, uh, where I've come up and preached a sermon and then I've like prayed at the end, gone amen, and I take my stool or my stand and I walk off stage and my first thought is, I'm quitting preaching and I'm going to go work at Home Depot, <laughs> That's what I think. And it's always Home Depot because it would be so cool to know everything at Home Depot, right? I walk through Home Depot. I'm like, sorry, different story. Okay, but, but I think to myself, I'm going to go work at Home Depot because I'm not good at preaching and everyone hates me and no one loves me and everyone just wants me to leave. And it would be better if I wasn't here and everything's falling apart. You might think that's crazy, but I promise you many pastors, you know, have that experience from time to time where we just go, this isn't working. Now, what do I do in that moment? Do I believe that thought that runs through my mind? No. If you're here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about taking every thought captive to Jesus. What do I do? I contact trace where that came from. Okay, what happened? Like a few people like had to get up and go to the restroom during my message and I just assumed they hate me and they're walking out, right? Like a few people looked at their phone. Like I've never looked at my phone ever during a presentation before. I'm like, oh, I'm losing them. No one cares about what I say. You know, like, like you just have to trace back what happened. Or maybe it was like, okay, I had a hard week. I was exhausted. Things were difficult. I have to trace back. How did I come to start to think something so crazy? And I think some of you need to do that. Like some of you think that your friends don't actually care about you. And your evidence for that is like, they forgot to text you back a time twice, right? Like you've always ever texted back everyone and you're a hundred percent on that, right? Or, or some of you have come to believe you will never have a boyfriend. No one will ever love you. No one will ever want you. And you're like, can you give me the evidence for that? Like, let's trace that back. And you're like, one time I looked at a boy and he didn't look back. You know, like that's your story. And you're like, okay, like how did that happen? You're like, no one at church loves me. No one has time for me. Why, why do you think that? Well, I went one night and I didn't meet my best friend. You know, like you just end up tracing it back. So you need to contact trace your thoughts. Here's David going on all alone. 
And if you were sitting over coffee with David, you'd be like, David, that's not true. That's not reality. And what you need in your life perhaps is someone who can look you in the eyes and tell you what is true and not true. It might actually be the case that you don't have a lot of friends. It may actually be the case that the friends you have aren't very great, but don't allow yourself to think that just because the thought went through your brain. Trace it back, figure out where it came from. Allow people to be in your life to challenge the way you think. It goes on this way in verse five. He says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. This is like the heart of the Psalm here. And so I don't want you to miss this. What he says is I'm crying to you, Lord. I'm all alone. No one cares about me. No one cares about my life. Everything's falling apart. I'm totally lonely, but God, I'm going to cry to you because you're my refuge. Like I want to be really clear on something tonight. The punchline of this sermon isn't here's four or five different ways to make friends tonight. That's not what this is. It's not like if you're lonely, here's how to make a friend. And then I give you the five ways to make a friend. And then you're like, that's great. Listen, there's some practical wisdom that we'll get into here. But here's what I need you to know, that David understands something profound. And that's that the core of his issue when he feels lonely is not his lack of friendships. It is his relationship with God. David understands that if his relationship with God isn't right, nothing else can be. Here's what David understands. If I am not right with God, my friendships will frustrate. If I'm not right with God, my friendships will always frustrate. Someone needs to hear that tonight. If you are not right with God, if you're not at peace with God, if your refuge isn't in God, your friendships will always frustrate you. Why? Because you will look for friends to do what only God can do. You will start to look for perfect friends when only God is perfect. You will start to expect your friends to be faithful in every season when only God is faithful in every season. You will start looking for friends who can bind up the wounds of your heart when only the Holy Spirit of God can do that inside of you. You will start to look for friends who have perfect founts of wisdom coming out of them when the truth is only God and his word give you the wisdom you most desperately need. Listen, if you're not right with God, what you'll start to do is you'll start to put your friends in the place of God, or even worse, you'll put a boyfriend in the place of God, a girlfriend in the place of God, married people, a spouse in the place of God. You'll start to put a child in the place of God. You'll start to put any other person in the place of God. And every time you do that, it will frustrate you. It will frustrate them and it will destroy you. Listen, if I'm not right with God, my, friendship, my, my, my friendships will, will frustrate but if I am right with God, my, my friendships will flourish because now I can look at my friends and not expect them to be perfect. I can just be okay with the fact that my friends are gonna let me down sometimes. I can be okay with the fact that sometimes my friends aren't gonna invite me to hang out and I'm okay. I can be okay with the fact that sometimes my friends are gonna give me advice and wisdom and it's going to be terrible. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it because I don't expect them to be God. They're not God. I'm right with God. I know God, I trust God. And now I just get my friends to be friends. Like for some of you, you're so desperate for friendships, but the reason you're desperate for friendships is because you've never made things right with God. And someone needs to hear tonight that there is a God-shaped hole in your heart that no friendship can fill. There's a God-shaped hole in your life. And no human, no person, no boyfriend, no girlfriend, no spouse, no friend, no best friend, no roommate could ever possibly fill that. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but I need someone to call out to Jesus tonight to be right with God, because you will never have the friendships, the community, the people in your life. That loneliness will never go away if ultimately you are not right with the God of the universe. If you don't call out to him that he might forgive you, make you his child, give you a home in heaven forevermore because of who Jesus is and what he's done. You can cry out to God from your seat on this hill tonight. Cry out to Jesus, be right with God, and allow your friendships to flourish. 
because you don't need them to be God because you already know who he is. Here's how it goes on. It was on this one in verse six. He says, listen to my cry for I'm in desperate need. Uh, Rescue me from those who pursue me for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I might praise your name. See, this is a fascinating word he uses here. Do you notice how he describes loneliness? He describes loneliness as a prison. And I think this is something that if you've ever felt lonely, if you've ever had a season of your life where, where you just feel super alone for any of the seven reasons or other reasons that I didn't list, um, you probably know what it's like to feel imprisoned by loneliness. You, you feel like you're stuck. You feel like you can't get out. You feel like this is how it's going to be forever. There's a sense of doom that sets in when you feel lonely. And this is what David's describing. He is describing this kind of loneliness that happens. And here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced there are probably reasons you could be lonely. Um, maybe you're actually literally like isolated for a season. Maybe someone's listening online right now and you're under quarantine. You can't actually get out. Okay, there's a season where you're actually like that. Maybe there's a season where you're actually stuck and you can't make friends in the way you want to and there's loneliness that you have no control over. But here's what I think it is for most of the people listening to my voice right now. For most of you who are sitting here on this hill. I think the struggle with loneliness comes down to the fact that for some of you, I'm gonna make a bold statement. I think for some of you, you would rather be lonely than take the risk of rejection. I think for some of you, you would rather be alone than take a step of faith, take a risk and risk being rejected. I think rejection is this fear that some of us have and we would rather stay in our isolation than step out and risk people rejecting us, harming us, pushing away. Here's the way I wanna put it tonight. That fear of rejection is a prison that will keep you as long as you want to stay. Like your fear that someone's gonna reject you, your fear that they're not gonna be friends with you, your fear that they're not gonna wanna be around you is a prison that some of you live in. And listen, you can stay there as long as you want, but like you can stay in there uh, like if you're new to town, I mentioned if you're new, like some of you are new and, and your great fear is like, you don't wanna be the new guy in a group. You don't wanna be the new guy in a friendship. And so you're scared, you're here and you feel like you could totally meet people. Like there are hundreds of young Christians here. And some of you are in town, you're like, I just wanna meet young Christians and you're here. And it's like, you could so easily meet someone, but you're just terrified that you'll stick out your hand or what, whatever we do and like elbow, whatever. And like, like you're, gonna, you're gonna like try to meet someone tonight and they're just gonna like reject you. And that's gonna be like the end. Or like some of you are single and you're over it. Like you're really wanting to date someone and marry someone someday, but you're so terrified of getting rejected. You're a guy who just wants to marry this girl or marry any girl or have anyone go on a date with you. And rather than asking someone out on your date, you're so terrified that they'll shoot you down that you won't do it. Or or, or like some of you have something that you're struggling with and you're struggling alone and it's been with you for years and you've never told anyone and you're so scared of telling someone because if you tell them, they might reject you. If they tell them, they might judge you or look down upon you and so you don't do it. So that's why I say that isolation, loneliness is a prison that you can choose to live in because it's more scary to walk out of that prison and risk rejection. But here's the key that God has given you. Like it's like you're in this cell that you've created of loneliness and God has given you the key. And here's the key. The key is the fact that God has saved you, rescued you and redeemed you. And there's nothing anyone can do to change that. But like the great key to you coming out of that fear of rejection is knowing that the most important judge there is has approved you. He's not rejected you. He has received you. He loves you. He is with you. He has affirmed you. God says you are redeemed. You have been called by name. You are mine. 
So like the great faith, the great courage that comes from being a Christian isn't that nothing weird or tough is ever gonna happen in this life. It's that whatever happens, God wants me. God picked me. God selected me. The idea isn't that you begrudgingly get to go into heaven. It's that God looked over all of the earth and said, I want you. I want you. I want you and you and you and you and you in my family. That's who I want in my family. And if God wants me, that gives me the courage to say, listen, even if people reject me, I'm gonna be okay because that rejection isn't final. And that kind of courage allows me to take out and step a risk, to take a step of faith, to take a risk, to step into a new relationship, even though it's scary, even though I might be rejected, even though I might be turned down. See, listen to this, embracing risk is the key to your freedom. It's the key to your freedom because we are able to embrace risk because we know that ultimately God approves of us. God's with us. God's never gonna turn us down or turn us away. And so I just wanna encourage someone tonight to take a risk. Maybe you're here tonight and you just feel super lonely. Might I encourage you to take a risk and join a small group? I know we already started them. Okay, let us know. We'll put you in one. We'll figure that out. We'll put you in the small group. And you know what? It's a risk. You gotta show up and see a bunch of people you don't even know. You can't even see their whole face. It's like half their face. You're like, okay, I don't know half of the face he's here, you know? And, and then you come in and then you just share your life story and you actually risk because you know what? You can show up at a small group and never actually risk anything and just share like pat answers you think you're supposed to do. Or you can show up and say, I'm lonely and I'm desperate and I need people who will be in with me. Will you do that? See, that's a risk. You take that risk to the young man here who feels single and lonely to take a risk to step out and say, hey, I appreciate you. I see you. I'd love to get coffee. I'd love to buy you a meal sometime. Could we do that, please? To take a risk, the risk that she might say no, the risk that you might get turned down to step out and to take a risk because you know your father in heaven approves of you no matter what happens. I might encourage someone here to take a risk tonight who's been struggling alone with your anxiety, with your depression, with your secrets, with your addiction, with your struggle, with your pain, just to take that risk of sharing that with someone that you might find hope and healing through the friendships that Jesus Christ wants to offer you. To take that risk. See, loneliness is this prison, but you get to stay as long as you want or as short as you want. And I want to invite you to take a risk because that's the key to you exiting out of that prison and entering into the life that God has for you. Here's the final verse we'll look at tonight says, then the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness to me. There's something I want you to see every time you read the scriptures. I, I want you to um, see that word righteous there. It says, then the righteous will gather around me. Every time in the Bible, you see the righteous. I do not want you to think it's referring to some other group of people. I don't want you to see the word righteous and think that means the really good people, the really holy people, the people who will always do the good things and never sin, the people who will always read their Bible and never do the bad things. I don't want you to see the word righteous and think it refers to anyone other than you, the gathered people of God. Do you know that when God sees you, he looks on you as righteous? Not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, but because you are covered in the blood of his son, Jesus. God looks at you and says, righteous woman of God, righteous man of God. So when the Bible talks about the righteous will gather, the righteous gathering is not somewhere else. It's not the holy people. It's right here. It's the church. God looks upon us and sees us as righteous because he sees us exactly like he sees his son. When Jesus was baptized, the father looks down at the son and says, you are my son and you I am well pleased. Do you know that if you know Jesus, God says the exact same thing over you? You are the righteous of God. And it says here, the righteous will gather. There's this gathering of the righteous. And here's what I need you to understand, that this gathering of the righteous is God's response to the most ancient problem. It's this response to the first problem he ever saw in humanity. Can I put it this way for you tonight in closing that the church is God's answer. It's God's answer to humanity's most ancient problem. The church, this place, what we're doing here tonight, 
what churches all over the world, large and small, rural and urban, in all different places that you've never heard of, churches are gathering, and this is God's answer. God's answer to humanity's most ancient problem is to pull together a people, and it's a people he's been gathering together to himself since the beginning of time. And this is what God is doing. His answer to loneliness, his answer to this is that you would be made right with God first and then join into God's people. And so that's the invitation for you as we close tonight. Um, Listen, our band's gonna um, come up and we're gonna sing a few more songs as we close. And um, there's something really powerful that happens when the people of God sing, something really powerful that happens when we sing in unity and we're bound together in the person of Jesus. But but then I just really wanna give you some some really practical next steps. So I told you um, the first thing, if you're not right with God, none of this works, okay? Like if you're not right with God, if you're not at peace with God, if God is not God in your life, but you're trying to make another person God in your life, this won't work at all. But if you have made God the Lord of your life, if you trust him, if he's at the center, here's four practical next steps that I just need someone to take tonight. Four practical next steps. Number one, I want you to show up. I want you to show up when you don't feel like showing up. I want you to show up when you're tired. I want you to show up when you're over it. I want you to show up even when your friends aren't showing up. I want you to show up when you feel like staying home. Showing up is the first step. Being there is the first step. How do you become good at reading your Bible? You read your Bible over and over again. How do you become good at praying? You pray over and over again. How do you become the type of person who starts to connect with the people of God? You show up over and over and over and over again. That's number one. You show up. Number two, you take a risk. Even when you fear rejection, meet someone tonight. I'm challenging someone here tonight before you leave this place to meet one person you don't know. If you're here alone, before you go, just walk up to someone. And we're all just going to make the agreement tonight. If someone walks up to you, they're not like a creeper stalker, okay? Right? We're all just going to make the agreement tonight. If someone walks up and goes, hey, I, I don't really know anyone. I just want to say hi and get to know, you know. We're just going to like embrace that in like a COVID-specific way, okay? Like that's going to happen. You show up. You take a risk. Number three, this is so important. You serve people. Even when you want to be served. I'm going to make a, a statement that I think is probably like 95% true. I don't know that I know anyone serving profoundly and deeply in a church ministry or serving somewhere in their life with consistency who is experiencing profound loneliness. I think the people I've met over the years who are the most lonely tend to be the people who are not serving recklessly, sacrificially in with other people. I found in my own life, the seasons where I'm most lonely are the seasons where I want other people to serve me. I want other people to pour into me. But I find the seasons where I'm serving and that serving could just mean you show up early at YA and you pray and you help us set out chairs. It could mean you serve with our special needs ministry, our middle school ministry, our high school ministry, our food distribution on Tuesdays. The people who are serving recklessly, sacrificially, regularly in, those people tend to be bound together in some special way that I can't even explain. Serve. If you're feeling lonely right now, invest. I know you want everyone to invest in you. Invest in others. You'll be shocked at what the Holy Spirit does. And then here's the final thing. Lean in, lean in even when you wanna walk away. Well, like one of the things that's so easy to do at a large church is to kind of lean back, to be entertained, to kind of be like, okay, what you guys got tonight? Let's see how impressive this is. Like, you can so like lean back and just be a spectator on things. Lean in, lean in during worship, lean in during small group, lean in afterwards. If you don't have to go right away afterwards, don't. Like, again, we got to do the COVID thing. I get all that. We're gonna like distance or whatever, but like we got to do everything we can do to lean in in the season. And to not run away because it's easier. To not go jump in your car right away just because you're afraid of taking the risk of talking to a new person tonight. Now, listen, we're not gonna judge you if you're like walking in your car like you. Like, like that's not how this works. But, but I wanna challenge you to lean in when it's easier to walk away. 
want to challenge you to lean in when things get dramatic with some people that you know here. You're like, everyone here hates me. Here's the best news you need to know. Most people here don't even know you, okay? <laughs> lean in. Lean in when it's easier to leave. Lean in when it's easier to take off. Lean in when you're ashamed of your sin from last weekend and you don't feel like you can show up to church because God's cleansed that through his blood. Lean in, lean in, lean in, lean in. Here's why. Because God leaned in with you when you had no business being with him. And he said, I want you and I'm with you and I'm for you and I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Lean in. Because God has something remarkable for you in this next season. We are living in this bizarre time, in this bizarre world, through this bizarre pandemic and everything's so strange. But what if in the midst of all of this weirdness, where we're in this cave just like David, God wants to teach you something that would change your entire life. Maybe this is your season. Maybe this is your time to lean in like never before. I invite you to do this. Listen, loneliness is the most ancient problem in the world, but God's church, God's people is his solution. It's his answer. And I want you in this fall. I want you in as we go forward so that you might experience the hope that God has for your heavy heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight. Thanks for your word. Pray for the young woman, the young man who's feeling lonely tonight. God, would you fill them with your spirit? Would you draw them into what's going on here at this church? Would you open up relationships? Would you most importantly make them right and settled with you? God, I pray for the person here who feels so connected but knows the person next to them or the person in their room uh, or the person in their apartment and the person in their family is alone. God, help them be a conduit to your grace, your mercy. God, as we sing right now, I just, feel, just pray you would fill us with a sense of your presence, a sense of your grace. God, I welcome you here. I, I wanna know your presence. I wanna know your power. I wanna be like David who says, you're my portion, you're my refuge. And I pray we would all have that sense of your power and your presence tonight. God, minister to our heavy hearts tonight. Fill us with hope. We pray it in Christ's name and all God's people said real loud.